All right, well, you have made it. We're in the final week of our series on angels and demons. If you missed any part of this, uh, number one, you're going to be having a lot of questions today. Uh, but number two, you just want to catch up. So go back a couple of weeks from today, uh, check our message on angels. And then last week, as we talked about uh, the evil one, Satan, and the demonic realm, how we can be aware and prepared for that. Today, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've gone through the message series, if you've been here, or if you've caught up online, uh, I imagine that some of us are thinking like, my goodness, like we've, we're preaching the whole Bible all at once. And today's going to be a lot of scripture as well, but I, I want to encourage you, number one, uh, we can, you can keep up and we'll give you some places to go check out in Scripture this week. But next week, in fact, not only next week, but for the next five weeks, we're going to just camp out in one book of the Bible, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, uh, the letter that he wrote to the church. We're going to live there for the next five weeks. So make sure you come back a little more. Uh, you can sink your teeth into it. But today we're going to look at a lot of different places we talk about the Holy Spirit. As we talk about the Holy Spirit, I know for a lot of us, you know, this is kind of, well, we have a weird relationship with the Holy Spirit as the church around the world, right? Some of our churches, and we've all seen this, I mean, you got people like just doing crazy things, right? Like they're, they're on the floor and they're wiggling around or some like guy in a suit and tie is like pushing people over. And then you got somebody come on the screen and like, and you can make your credit card payment to this number. And you're like, um, I, I am really not sure of what is happening over here or if I even want to know what's going on over here. And because of that, some of us, we can kind of get scared and we go to the other extreme and we show up to church on Sunday and we're stiff and our hands are in our pockets and it, you know, everything has to happen in our brain. And if I don't understand it, then I can't embrace it. And we're like, we're not comfortable with mystery whatsoever. And, and we miss it. And I don't want us to live in either one of those places. I don't want us to, to fantasize or make up things or speculate on things that are not spelled out for us in Scripture. But I also don't want us to be afraid to engage and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of you have had experiences with the Holy Spirit. I've had a, a number of encounters, physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit in my own life. And I want to share one quick with, one with you uh, this morning. So when I was 17 years old, not yet walking with the Lord, and God was moving in my life in a number of different ways. And one of the ways that he was doing that is he sent a couple of guys into my life that began to share their experience of Jesus with me. And they were inviting me to church week after week, month after month, and, and I was not interested. And, and finally, that, that kind of got me going into church. Some of you have heard that story before. But late in that summer, they convinced me to go on a spiritual retreat with the youth group from the church. And so I went on this retreat with the youth group and we went through the whole week and we do all the things that you do on a summer youth trip with games and you know worship music and teaching and small groups. And we did all the stuff and really most everything just kind of like flew over my head through the entire week. And we got to the last day, the last night, the last gathering, of the last worship service of the week. 
And just similar to what we're doing this morning, they probably sang some songs and some person got up there and taught scripture. And again, it just kind of like went right over my head. And we get to the last moment of the last night, of the last gathering, of the last time of worship of the week. And a pastor got up on the stage and they began to walk us through Holy Communion. And as they were walking through Holy Communion, they, they got to the end uh, of what they were saying about it and the, and the prayers. And they took the bread and they broke the bread like we do on Sunday mornings. And they said, this is the body of Christ given for you. And in that moment, I had an encounter with the living God. And nobody set me down. And they, you know, they didn't draw something out on a napkin. They didn't say, here's the Roman road. They didn't say, Jesus is here and you're over here. And there's a gap in between. And there's a cross in the middle. And there's the bridge. And like none of that, none of that happened. But in a moment, the entirety of the gospel was clear and it made sense. And I remember falling on my knees, realizing my need for Jesus and a warmth started at the top of my head and went through my entire body. And I fell on my knees, I began to weep for about 45 minutes as just bitterness and depression and anxiety and anger were, were leaving my body as I was encountering God and receiving Christ into my life and receiving the Holy Spirit. I remember coming back from that trip and got off the, the bus and, and didn't say anything. And I remember my mom and dad, they said, what happened with you before anything, any encounter took place? And I, I share that because I want you to know, yeah, there's some crazy stuff that that's probably really questionable that we see out in the world. And, and, and we can sometimes by fear, we can, we can put up an arm and, and put up a wall against the work of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is real. He's necessary in our life. And he works in our lives that we can follow Christ and live the life that God has prepared for us. Because the reality is, is that we do live in a spiritual world. We live in this in-between place where we see and encounter physical things, but we know that there's a spiritual reality. Our God is a spiritual being. I hope, if nothing else, over the last couple of weeks, you've realized that God has created some spiritual beings. He created angels to serve him in the heavenly court and to serve his purpose. And, and there are some that have rebelled against him and they're spiritual beings of darkness in the world. And you and I are engaging in a spiritual world. We're spiritual ourselves. Uh, we have a physical body, but we have a spirit that lives on. So when you die, if Jesus doesn't come back first, when you die and they put you and I in the ground when we die and our body is, is no longer has life in it, our spirit lives on. And we know that there's life beyond that. And not only that, but we have spiritual purposes for our life. If you go back to our uh, sermon series in August and we talked about work and we said that God has a work designed for you, but it's connected to the work only he can do. That in all the work that we do, there's a spiritual element to it. But not only that, but each and every day, whether we recognize it or not, we're in a spiritual battle where there are spiritual forces that are working against us because they hate God and they want to attack us to get back at God. And if we're going to be able to do the work that God has for us, which is spiritual in nature, 
and we're going to be able to engage in the spiritual battle that's taking place, we better not be depending on our own intellect or our own ability or our own willpower. We better be depending on the power of the Holy Spirit to live the life that God has for us. It's critical. And the Holy Spirit is going to do a couple of things. It's going to enable us to live that life and it's going to protect us along the way. John, wrote, writing to the church, the early church, said this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. He says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. But you, dear children, he's talking to the church. These are Jesus' followers. They're filled with the Spirit. We're children of God by faith. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Why? Because the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who's in the world. So John's writing to the church and they're fully engaged in a spiritual battle and they're trying to discern between two different voices. And quite literally, in a way that most of us would be uncomfortable with, they're engaged in a spiritual battle that they can see and they can hear and they're experiencing it. And there were voices or messages that people were speaking that were questionable at best. And then there were prophets and there were teachers and there were apostles who were speaking the word of God and they needed to be able to decide, well, which one's from God and which one isn't? And John is telling them, listen, the way you understand the truth is that any spirit that says, this is Jesus Christ, the son of God who came to live a perfect life. He died for us. He rose from the dead. That is of the Holy Spirit. And anyone that denies that is not from the Holy Spirit. And he says, because the Holy Spirit is in you, you have overcome all of the darkness in the world. And you are fully prepared to engage in the spiritual battle that is before you. And so we see a couple of things here that the Holy Spirit is doing right from the get-go. Number one is he's leading us to faith. The Holy Spirit is, is guiding us toward the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the creator of the universe. He is the one who took our sin, who died for us, who rose from the dead. He is our only hope. He is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, and we can put our faith in him. It's leading us to that reality. And then it is enabling us to follow after him, and it's protecting us along the way. And I love what John says. Don't miss it. He says, the one who is what? In you. He didn't say like, hey, the one who's working for you or the one who's right beside you or the one who's going before you. While all of that may be true, that's not what John was pointing to. He said, the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Now, if this is true, if it's a reality that when I confess Jesus Christ as Lord and I follow him by faith, I'm dwelled with the Holy Spirit, then I need to know what that Holy Spirit's up to. What can I be looking for? What can I be opening myself up to? What can I surrender to? What does God want to do in me through the Holy Spirit? So that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to give you the roles of the Holy Spirit in you. You ready? Are you going to ready? Take notes. Got a lot of scripture. So here we go. The first one is that the Holy Spirit joins me to Jesus Christ. This is the miracle of all miracles, guys. It's not just that God says, oh, you're, you did some bad things. I forgive you. I'll see you in heaven. That's pretty awesome. 
But it's even greater than that. God says, hey, I am so in love with you that I want to join my spirit with you. I want to live in you. And we get joined with Jesus. Not just in heaven, but right now, his spirit is living in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says it this way. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, it's not just with or hanging out with or you believe in. You are in Christ Jesus because he's in you. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the what? Spirit. All right, so we got the law and we're free and right. Like what in the world are you talking about, Paul? Well, here's what Paul is saying. Before my faith in Jesus and living in the spirit, I was under the rule of the Mosaic law, the law given to Moses, the Old Testament. And I am required and responsible for living out every element of that law. But here's the problem, is that that law was not designed to give life, but it leads to sin and death. Why? Because my flesh is broken by sin, and so I'm never going to be able to live up to that law. And so the function of the law of Moses was to do two things. It was to convince me, number one, that I'm sinful and broken and in need of help. And then number two is to point me to Jesus. The Old Testament is full not only of prophecy, I mean, literal prophecy that was fulfilled by Jesus, but also many depictions and stories and pictures of Jesus before he ever showed up on the scene. Convincing me, I'm broken, there is a remedy, his name is Jesus. And Paul says, before the Holy Spirit, we are in trouble. And because I can't live up to that law, Where I am headed without Christ is sin and death. So before Jesus, before the Spirit, I'm in trouble because I can't live up to it, sin and death. But because of my brokenness and need, Jesus steps in. And based on not what I do, but the work of Jesus, I am filled with the Spirit of God to live a life for Him. So this is what it looks like. Jesus showed up because you and I are broken sinners. We've rejected God. We've rebelled against God. Paul says it this way, like, I don't do what I want to do, and I am doing what I don't want to do. Who's going to save me from this wretched condition? Thank God for Jesus. And I'm in this predicament. So God stepped in, and Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life, and he said, this is what it looks like to follow after the Father, after God. And then he went to the cross And for you and me, he took on our punishment. The punishment that belonged to us, Jesus took it. And then he died and he went to the grave. And when he did, he took sin and death with him and he destroyed it. And then three days later, he rose from the dead so that he would be the first fruits that what we have waiting for us is resurrected bodies and eternal life. 
He took the punishment. He destroyed sin and death. He gave us a promise of eternal life. That's what we have in Jesus. And because of that, he sends the Holy Spirit that God not only forgives me, but he transforms me. And I get to say, I can follow after God, not because I'm smart enough, not because I'm able, not because I want to or I'm trying to, but because Jesus is living in me. That's the gift that we get. Now, how do I know that Jesus is living in me? How do I know to have the Holy Spirit? We'll go back to 1 John 4, where it starts is that I can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when I can follow after him in faith, I know that the Holy Spirit's working in me. But there's a second element. It's when day after day, I realize more and more how much I need Jesus and his grace. See, the, the work of sanctification, of being transformed, is not that you become less aware of your sin, but you become more aware of it, more aware of our brokenness and how God has stepped in on our behalf and freed us from sin and death. Why? Because he's in me. I'm joined with Jesus. All right. Second thing that the Holy Spirit does for us is the Holy Spirit convicts, guides, and teaches. It's going to convict me of my sin. It's going to guide me in a life of following after Jesus. And he's going to teach me the ways of God. We find this in John chapter 16, starting in verse 7. Jesus is talking to the disciples. And this is what he says about the Holy Spirit. He says, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, now the word here advocate is parakletos or paraclete. It, it literally means a counselor. It is one who is uh, willing and able and ready to stand on our behalf for our defense. You're not able to defend yourself. You're not able to, to make yourself right. And so the advocate or the counselor is willing and ready and able to stand in your place, stand before you. He makes our defense before God. And we're gonna see how that happens here in a few minutes. Working for us, but not just for us, but in us. He says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes... He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no more. And about judgment because the prince of this world or Satan now stands condemned. Do You see, here's the first part. He's convicting us of our sin, of our brokenness. Have we not lived up to the, the standard of God? But he goes on, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will what? He will guide you. Here's the guidance. I'm going to guide you day by day as you follow after me. I'm going to guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Here's the teaching function. He's teaching us the word of God, the revelation of God, what we can expect and be prepared for and looking for. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So here we are. The Holy Spirit will convict, it will guide, it will teach. And I want you to notice the way 
that he does this. Jesus doesn't call the Holy Spirit an it. It's not a tool that you get out of your toolbox and apply to your life. It's a he. He's, he's a person. And he wants to engage us in a relationship where we listen to him and we watch for him and we're open to him so that he will work in our lives. And he's going to convict us of our sin. He's going to guide us as we follow after Jesus. And he's going to teach us the way. Now, convicting of us our sin perhaps might be the most powerful work of the Holy Spirit because until I recognize my sin, I'm not going to turn to Jesus. But he's constantly showing us more and more how, how we need Christ and, and how we are missing the mark. But the way that he does that is he reveals truth to us. We must not be opening up this book and trying to figure it out on our own because if we do, we are in big trouble. Y'all, the reason there's so much false teaching around the world is because people are trying to read this book, read scripture and teach scripture without the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. And so when you open up scripture and you're like, I just don't understand. Listen, you're in good company. That's all of us until the Holy Spirit reveals his truth. So, so here's a simple little prayer. I've shared this before. Right, put this in your toolbox. Each and every day, whether it's morning or, or afternoon or evening, as you get into God's word and you're reading, just say this simple little prayer. Lord, give me eyes to see what you're doing. Give me ears to hear what you're saying. And give me a heart to understand. Basically what you're saying is, Holy Spirit, I don't have spiritual eyes to see the reality of your activity in me and around me. Help me to see. Holy Spirit, I don't have ears to hear your voice without your interceding on my behalf. So help me to hear your voice through your word. And Lord, Holy Spirit, give me a heart of faith to trust you and understand where you're leading me through your word. And he will be faithful to convict us and guide us and teach us along the way. Which leads us to this, this next one, and I love this one. It's, it's so encouraging. The Holy Spirit intercedes. I want you to be encouraged, and I want you to lean in to this gift that the Holy Spirit gives to you. Paul talks about this in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Listen to what this says. We do not know what we ought to pray for. It does not say, hey, if you don't know what to pray for, here's what you can know. No, it's you don't know what to pray for and neither do I. That is a reality. And because we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit says, I'm going to stand in your place. I'm going to stand before you and I'm going to pray for you with the Father. And so the Holy Spirit is literally interceding for us with the Father on our behalf. It says, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So here's what's happening. You know that little secret sin or that fear or that shame that you keep tucked away in your heart because you don't want God or anybody else to know about? Well, the Holy Spirit searches your heart and knows all about it. And he also knows the mind of God. And because he knows about that brokenness, that fear, that insecurity, that little secret sin that you keep tucked away and you don't understand the will of God and sometimes I don't either, 
Because of that, he is interceding for us. He's saying, Father, forgive him, forgive her, work in him, work in her, encourage, challenge, guide, transform this person according to your will because they don't get it. But because you are in Christ by faith, he's interceding for you and for me. Lean in. When you don't know how to pray, lean into that. And just say, Holy Spirit, pray for me right now. Because I don't know which way is what. And then as we do that, you know what's going to happen? We're going to get strength from God that only God can give. And we discover that the Holy Spirit will empower. The Holy Spirit empowers one of the places of clear as day in scripture, we find with Jesus interacting with the disciples in Acts chapter one, verse eight. And it says this, Jesus speaking to them says, but you will receive what? Power. You will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what happens? The Holy Spirit empowers. Now listen, he doesn't say, hey guys, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, now you can just have the power to do whatever you want to do. Right? Like you can call down legions of angels and you can like, no, it says you have power to do what I have for you to do, that you'll be my witnesses. And one of the things I try to instill with my kids in the next generation is, listen, it's, it's not that you can be whatever you want to be. That's the narrative of our world. You know, you do whatever you want to do, work hard, you can be whatever you want to be. No, you can be whatever God calls you to be. And God empowers you to be what he calls you to be, to be his witness in the way you're designed to be. And he strengthens us, and he does it in a couple of different ways. One of the ways is he's going to transform our desires. In your notes, write down Galatians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Galatians 5, 17 and 18. And there Paul tells us that there are two things working in our lives. There's the spirit of God and there's the flesh. If I follow the flesh, it always leads against God. But if I follow the spirit, it's always gonna lead toward freedom. Freedom for what? Freedom for Christ's purpose and meaning and life in me. And it's empowering me by doing what? Changing the way I think and the way I feel and the way I will things to be so that it's aligning with Christ, that that's the freedom of the Spirit. I, I say it all the time, guys, I don't know about you, but I don't want to white knuckle it through life, having to try so hard to be a godly man. I want the Spirit of God to lead me into freedom. So it changes my desires. But another thing it's going to do is it's going to give us what are called uh, spiritual gifts. Now, this is not talking about talent. I'm not talking about like things you try really hard to do, but it is a spiritual given gift of the Holy Spirit to build up the body of Christ. You can find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses four through seven, a little description and it continues about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's some other places in scripture and Romans and other places you can look as well. But what we're told is that all of the gifts are given by the one Holy Spirit for the purpose of building up the church. And it lists out some of the examples like apostles and teachers and prophets and people with the gift of healing or gift of helping or the gift of faith or the gift of discernment or the gift of speaking, like different kinds of gifts, but all by the Holy Spirit given to build up the church. So it changes our desires. It gives us uh, spiritual gifts. And then finally, it gives us the power to overcome temptation. In your notes, write down 
Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. In both places, we're told that the Holy Spirit allows us a way out of temptation. Whenever we're tested, whenever we're tried, whenever we have temptation, the Holy Spirit says, here's the way out. You don't have to give in. And, and this is a, a little bit of a problem in the American church. I hear it all the time where we say something like, well, you know what? I'm just a sinner. I'm just broken. Right? And we don't mean that from like a theological foundational truth. What we're saying is, I can't. I can't follow Jesus. And it almost becomes an excuse for us to give him to, to, to temptation. Listen, the one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. The one who is in you leads a way out of temptation. He teaches and guides and convicts, but he also empowers that we have Christ in us that I don't have to be a victim to my sin and temptation. Every moment that I'm facing a temptation, God says, here's a way out. You can honor me with all of your life. Paul says in Romans 12, one and two, he says, just give your life to God. Let it be a spiritual act of worship by transforming the way you think. I'm not a victim. I'm a victor in Jesus Christ because he's in me, empowering me. But we need to have one warning here. We need to be careful because this is not automatic. Just because the Holy Spirit lives in you doesn't mean you just like automatically like now you're like a holier than holy person and, and like you're levitating and like, you know, you're chanting all the time. No, like there's a battle that takes place. And Ephesians chapter four, verse 30 warns us. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit who has sealed you for the day of redemption. See, it's not talking about the, the issue of salvation. We're saved by faith. We're sealed for the day of redemption, but what it's talking about is, am I living a life that honors God? And one day, every one of us, even those of us who are believers, all of us are gonna face a judgment. It just matters which one. Are you gonna face the judgment for unbelievers and you're gonna be cast to hell and the lake of fire? Or are you gonna be judged as a believer based on your faithfulness and be rewarded for eternity? And I wanna stand before God and be able to say, Lord, I held nothing back. I did everything with all that I have and all that I am to live faithfully serving you. And I, I did everything that I could to not grieve the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, he says, don't give your life to bitterness or selfishness or greed or pride or lust. Don't give in to those things because there is a way out. You have been empowered. And all of this to, to point toward the celebration that we're gonna have on that day of redemption because we're saved by faith. And it leads us to the final thing that the Holy Spirit does. Is the Holy Spirit confirms our salvation. I, I don't want us to be questioning, like, well, am I saved? Is, did Jesus really do this for me? You know, most of the time, if you're not walking with Christ, that's when you think that you don't have any need and you, and you don't have any problems and, and you're not gonna question. A lot of times it's when we're trying to follow after Jesus that the, the evil one, the prince of this world, sends his demonic forces to start whispering those lies. You're not enough. This wasn't for you. You can't, you can't be certain of what Jesus did for you. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 and 14. He says, and you also were included in Christ, there it is again, you're in Christ. When you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your what? 
salvation, rooted in the gospel, receiving the good news of Jesus. When you believed, that word there, it's it's the word pistis. It, It means a trust. It means a surrender. It means a faith. Not just an intellectual agreement, but I trust in it. When you believed in that way, you were marked in him with the seal. We're gonna come back to that word, seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit. We're gonna come back to that word, deposit. Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. That's key. We are God's possession. To the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit confirms for us our salvation. He says the way that he does that is he marks you with a seal. And, and the word there is the word sphragis. And it means to be etched or to have an impression on uh, for a visual. Think about you've seen pictures of letters that were sent by kings. And they have the wax and they put the hot wax on the envelope. And what do they do with it? They make an impression on that wax and they seal the message. God has put a sealing on us, an impression. And, and what that impression meant, meant then and it means now is it was a way to identify the sender. This is who gives the message. But it wasn't just that you needed to know who it was from because lots of people sent messages. You put an impression, a mark, a seal when you needed to, to signify authority. This message is from me and the reason it matters that it's from me is because I have authority. What God is saying is we've been marked with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit of God is joined to Christ and Christ has all authority. He's saying to us, you are marked and sealed for heaven for an inheritance for eternity because I say so. And I died and I rose from the dead for you and I have authority to do it. And so don't let anybody question when you follow after me by faith. And then it says that he's given us a deposit. Embedded in that message is a deposit. And the word is erebon. And it means a pledge or a down payment. See, one day, after this life is over, and we stand before God, and we see Jesus face to face. And listen, it's, it's not going to be what we often think is like cute and cuddly. He is the creator of the universe. Go read the book of Revelation. See the description of Christ with blazing eyes and light that is blinding. We will be in awe and reverence of Christ when we see him. But when we see him, we receive an inheritance to come into eternal life with him, to receive a reward for our faithfulness. And we're going to be fully in the presence of the glory of God. That's what's to come. And so God says, I don't want you to question that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and give you a deposit on the presence of the glory of God. And I'm going to place it in you. And he puts the presence of God and joins it with our spirit. And we become in Christ and Christ is in us. This is what Paul talks about. He says, I want to know Christ, even his pain and suffering and death. I want to die with him. Why? So that I could also know his glory. I want to rise with him. We have a down payment on that. Don't question what God has done for you. 
And really, it all comes down to this, and I hope you've caught it so far, is that the promise that God gives is not just that, that the Spirit of God will be around us or even for us, but He would be in us. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is not about an external activity. And I think so often we miss this as the church because we gather and, and we pray things like Holy Spirit be in this room, be working, be around us. And that is all good and that is all right and it's all true. The Holy Spirit is working. We call it the manifest presence of God. It's our physical experience of the power and the presence of God in our space and in our world. But the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is not to be around us, but to be in us. And this is why this matters. I think as Christians, we are often guilty of refusing to move out in faith until everything lines up or until we're overwhelmed with an emotional experience or until it's just abundantly clear. And we often are sitting on our hands when God is saying, I have called you to be my witness in your world and all around you and to every place that you go. It's time to get active. Because what you need to, to live for Christ is already in you. You don't have to wait for it to show up. If you're following Christ by faith, it's in you. And so maybe what we need to do is say, Lord, I repent of being inactive and I'm gonna start praying in faith for you to move. God, I'm gonna start acting in faith by your hand and by your power in me. Lord, I'm gonna start speaking in faith that I'm gonna speak truth to the people around me and stop waiting for everything to line up. God, I'm gonna make decisions in faith even though I don't see all the pieces yet. So we're gonna talk about this more in a couple of weeks, but we need to understand by definition, faith is stepping out before I see it fulfilled. And we're so busy waiting on it to be fulfilled by some experience when Christ says it's already in you. And we need to pray it, speak it, act it, decide by what God has given us, that the one who's in you has overcome the one who's in the world. That doesn't mean you have a license to do whatever you want. We walk by faith, but we walk in alignment with God's word and we pray together and we discern the spirits as we're told in 1 John 4, carefully following after Christ. But we gotta stop sitting on our hands. And I don't know what that next step for you is. Maybe God has called you to speak some truth to somebody. Maybe God is, has called you to, to act or make a decision on faith that, that you've been hearing it for a long time and you're just like, well, I gotta, I'm gonna wait for all this to line up. And God's like, no, it's already in you. And so I'm gonna do like we do each and every week. I'm gonna pray for us. And, and I know because we do it every week, it might seem like this is a, another moment or just a natural part of what we do. But I want you to consider that this might be your first moment to take the step that God's called you to do, or it may be a supernatural encounter that you have with God because he's got a word and a message for you. And I don't want us to take it for granted. So if you'll stand, I'm gonna pray for us. 
And perhaps the Holy Spirit is speaking to you to step out in action, to step out in a spoken word, to step out with a decision, to step out in a bold prayer. Or it might be, maybe somebody here today or watching online, in reality of where you are in life is that you've been showing up to church and you're a member of the church and you've been in Bible studies and you've been on mission trips but you don't have that empowerment or clarity or discernment because you said yes to the church or you said yes to the Bible, but you haven't said yes to Christ and you're not submitted to him. You're not walking with him. Maybe you even said a prayer 15 years ago and you've been banking your whole life on that, but that was the end of it and you haven't been walking with Christ ever since. Not in its full submission and faith. And what, what I desire for those of you in that space is that today might be the day where you are filled with the Spirit of God by a profession of faith. So wherever you are in life, maybe you want to come and pray for a step of faith that God's calling you to. You want to pray to receive Christ by faith and be filled with the Spirit. Or maybe you want to pray for somebody you know and love that needs to, to surrender to Christ. Let's not let this just be another time. Let this be an important time where we say, Father, I'm listening. And my answer is yes. So let's bow in prayer. And as we sing this final song, if you want to come and pray, you can. Wave a pastor over if you want us to pray with you. Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for sending Christ into the world to die, to go to the grave, to rise from the dead, to conquer sin and death for us. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells us as believers, as faithful followers of Christ, submitted to you. Thank you for the, the guiding, the teaching, the empowerment, the freedom of the Spirit of God. Thank you that he lives in us. God, we don't want to grieve the Spirit by just checking a box and waiting for heaven. We wanna live fully surrendered to you today. So Spirit, speak to us, reveal your truth. Reveal the truth of the Father. God, open our eyes and our hearts to see hidden sin or shame or guilt that needs to be dealt with. Dealt with. God, help us to say yes to things you've been calling us to, we've been putting off. God, help us to, to intercede for non-believers that we are lifting them to you. God, we lift those names right now. Everybody, if you've got a name you want to lift up to the Father for salvation, lift it up right now. Father, we pray that you hear these names. If you're praying for discernment and clarity around your next step, God, speak to us. Give us discernment in what that is, God. We ask you right now. And Lord, for those who need to surrender to Christ, it's our prayer, Father. We know we are sinners. We're in desperate need of your grace. We trust and believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came into the world, who died for our sins and He rose from the dead and we surrender to Him as Lord. He's in charge of our life and we beg you for the Holy Spirit. Hear our prayer right now, Lord. And Father, empower and enable us as your body, the body of Christ, your church, the temple of God, to be confident and certain of your life in us that we live fully em embracing in the mission that you have, your purpose and plan for us. We wanna see our county, our city, our state transformed. 
lives and families transformed by your power. We beg you, Lord, to pray this in the mighty, mighty, mighty name of Jesus, your son, our Lord. And we, Lord, we pray it in the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us because of what Jesus has done. Hear our prayer, Lord. Amen.